Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 through 47 is where we're going to be at right now. So Acts chapter 2, we're in a sermon series looking at the book of Acts verse by verse. So just like going through it, one verse, then the next verse. So this morning, the verses that we're studying is verse 42 through 47 in the second chapter of Acts. And um, this is a familiar passage of scripture uh, to a lot of Christians. Um, you may not be that familiar with the details of this, these verses, but you may know that, that people say things like, we need to get the church back to, back to the church of Acts. Anybody ever heard something like that before? Um, let's be an Acts 2 church. There was a really popular music group in like the 80s, the second chapter of Acts. Anybody ever sing one of their songs? Okay. So people say things like, we need to be the Acts church again. This is the passage that they're talking about. Um, and, and so this is a really important passage of Scripture. Um, so I follow a website, and the website is called Historical Photograph. And so on that website, it, it basically what they try to do is they try to regularly post photographs that are just sort of iconic and, and, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so their tagline is rare historical photos in the story behind them. And so I just want to share a couple of these as we think about looking at Acts chapter two this morning. And the first one is from 1932. And this is a group of 11 construction workers having their lunch break as they build the Rockefeller Center over Manhattan in New York City. And you just look at the picture and you think about what is going on? You know, like what an amazing moment. And what are they talking about? And why does the one guy have his shirt off? And you just think about these things, right? Do they have harnesses on? It doesn't look like it. And they're just having lunch. That's a great picture. It, it, it inspires a lot of thought, right? The next one is uh, from 1947. And these are kids playing on the beach at Normandy after the invasion there in France. And you just look at that and you just think, man, what, what kind of sandcastle are they making? You know, what, what, a, what a crazy picture. What an iconic picture. And another one here I'll show you, and some of you have probably seen this one. This is on September eleventh, uh, two thousand one, when uh, the Secret Service came into a classroom where George W. Bush was reading stories to kids to tell him that the planes had hit uh, the twin towers, and he's kind of you can see the expression on his face as he's interrupted from reading books to children. And that's a just iconic picture. And there's just a lot going on in that photo, right? And the next one, the one that I really wanted to share with you, uh, is what is called the shot. And this is from 1998. Michael Jordan hit the game-winning shot to win the NBA Finals against the Utah Jazz. And I used to have this picture in a huge frame on my wall um, growing up, and I guess it was in 1998, so I was already kind of a grown-up at that time, but I had this picture on my wall, and like, I studied this picture. I, I, I have this picture almost memorized. I can tell you what's on the expression on John Stockton's face. 
I can tell you whether or not Byron Russell thinks he got fouled, pushed off slightly. Um, you can zoom in on this picture or you can just hold it close to your face and you can see the people in the crowd's expressions, all the different expressions of people like, oh my gosh, or yes, or whatever. And it's amazing. And as a fan of basketball and as someone who loved to play and watch sports, especially basketball, I would study this picture and just, just get inspired by it. And so the, the point of the message this morning and the reason I share these pictures with you is, listen, God is, through the pen of Luke, giving us a snapshot of the early church in the first generation of Christians. He is giving us a picture of what it looked like. And it is very much so that we would be inspired. Absolutely. That we would be inspired about what our faith should mean to us together as the body of Christ, as Christians, what the church should be. And so this morning, the the heart that I have coming from these verses is that we would be inspired about the local church. The word inspired fits so well. If you think about it, this is the picture of the church just right after they were inspired by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God. They literally were in spirit inspired. And this is what it looked like. This was written so that the early Christians, as these original readers of the book of Acts, you know, in the first century would have read the book of Acts like we are today. It was written for them first. It's, it was written so that they, just years after this actual church in Acts, that they would be inspired. And for thousands of years, like this passage has inspired Christians about God's will for his church and for us as part of it, okay? Now, remember, when we talk about the church, when we talk about the local church, please know we are not talking about a building, okay? We're not talking about the red bricks and the burgundy carpet, right? And uh, we're not talking about a building. Things like, where's your church, the, 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 you know, it's okay. We're not like the vocabulary police at Fellowship Raleigh here, but sometimes the way we talk, the way we sort of use terminology leads to bad theology. Like when we say like, where's your church? Or I'm over at the church or whatever. It just can kind of get confusing because the church is not a building. The church is not Sunday. The church is not a day. It's not an hour out of 168 hours in a week, right? Amen. The church is not a super yacht. It's not a country club, right? It's not Costco where you pay your membership dues and you expect free samples. Like, what's up? Why are there not samples out? It's not that. The church is not my casual group of Christian friends, my social club. As we'll see this morning, God has a particular idea for what the church is. And just the word church, it literally means the called out ones. Ecclesia, called out of the world, called out of darkness into light, called out of lies into truth, called out of the first Adam into the second Adam, 
called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The called out ones, that's what the church is. We are to be the church. There are metaphors in the Bible for the church, the family of God, 1 Timothy 5, the bride of Christ, Ephesians 5, the branches on a vine, John 15, a spiritual building, 1 Corinthians 3, a pillar of truth, 1 Timothy 3, a priesthood, the body of Christ, the church. Okay, So let me read the passage. Let me read the passage that this morning is supposed to inspire us about God's local church. Here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders And signs were being done through the apostles. And all who who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So let's pray. Let's bow and pray and ask the Lord to bless this teaching of his word. Lord, we thank you this morning uh, for, for gathering us together today. Lord, we are the church. This is a gathering of your people. Lord, we are humbled to call you our heavenly father. Lord, we are here to encourage one another. We're here to glorify you, to make the name of Jesus great, to praise you. Lord, we're here to be salt and light. We're here to be a blessing to our city, to the college campuses in our city, to the world. Lord, would you inspire us this morning that we might be all that you desire us to be. Lord, we lift up the many things happening in our church family, facing our church, going on in our city. Lord, we pray for those grieving over at NC State University with the suicides that have been happening. Lord, we pray for those still discouraged in Raleigh by the shooting that happened. Lord, we pray and we ask that you would use our church to be a beacon of light, of hope, and of joy. Lord, that we would be a church that would impact our city the way the church in Acts 2 impacted the world. God, that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Inspired about the local church. So what we have here a great way of breaking these verses down and looking very clearly at them would be to, I think, say that we're going to look at four observations from the local church that inspire us today, okay? So we're going to look at these verses, we're going to make some observations, and they are going to inspire us. I want to say this one extra thing. 
four nuanced observations, all right? Because under each observation, I want to break it down. I want to get down into the detail of what we're observing right there. And so the first one, the first one is this. The early church inspires us to be devoted. The early church inspires us to be devoted. Verse 42, and they, do you see it? devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Who devoted who? Did their parents devote them? No. Who's they devoted who? Themselves. Can you devote someone else? No, you can't. They devoted themselves. They owned their walk with Christ, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word devote means to persist in adherence, to be intently engaged in, to attend constantly, not attendance, but to attend to, right? This is what it means to be devoted. They were devoted. What are the things they were devoted to? The early church inspires us to be devoted. But how might we nuance this observation? And I submit to you that there were four things. The Bible, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And you see them all there in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the Bible. You see it there? The apostles' teaching which for us would be Scripture. The apostles' teaching, the Bible. What's the first thing on the list of things that they were devoted to? The Bible. Teaching. Truth. Do you think that that's important, that that matters, that something is listed first for a reason, that it is important that it's first? It is. It is. God's Word, central, so important. Could have put a lot of things first, but put the Word of God first because it's foundational to the rest. They were devoted to God's Word. It doesn't seem that they were just devoted to the Word one day a week, as this passage continues to unfold, we see this phrase day by day again and again. Maybe this would be a good passage to establish a conviction about spending time in God's Word day by day, every day. They were devoted to the Bible. Look, it says they were devoted to, do you see it there? Fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. That's an interesting word. The word is koinonia in the Greek. It is not red punch and cookies in the church gymnasium. All right? This is a much deeper word than that. This word literally in the first century would have referred to a partnership, a sort of business that you're in with another person. That's a koinonia. We are in this together. We're both invested. We're both going to share in the sacrifice. We're going to share in the reward. We're going to share in the suffering. We're in it together. We're deeply sharing in something. That's what fellowship means. 
So they were devoted to the fellowship. It says they were devoted to, do you see it there? The breaking of bread. Now, some, uh, some wonder, is this referring to just having a meal? Like they're devoted to having meals together, fellowshipping with one another? Such an important thing to share the table with people, right? And particularly in the first century, it was a sign of acceptance, a sign of hospitality, and it still is today. But like breaking bread together to, to have a meal together, does it refer to that or does it refer to something more like taking communion? Celebrating the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the cup and breaking the bread. Which one is it? Do you know? It actually comes up again, breaking bread in this passage. So it's mentioned twice. And people think that this first one is referring to communion because of the word the. So they weren't just devoted to breaking bread. They were devoted to, do you see it? The breaking of bread. I don't know. Either way, if it, if it is communion, it most certainly was part of a meal together anyways at that time in church history. So they were devoted to, let's say, communion, to the breaking of bread, to celebrating this special meal together as believers that helped them remember what Jesus had just done for them in giving his body, symbolized by the bread on the cross, in pouring out his blood, symbolized by the cup, the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of our sins, the blood of the new covenant. And so they were devoted to the Bible, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread. And then do you see it here? Devoted to, oh, here we go again, the word the. Devoted to the prayers. That's interesting. I wrote devoted to prayer for our outline, but it says devoted to the prayers. What does that mean? That probably for them in the first century meant that they still went to the temple and they still participated in the prayers that Jewish people were offering up in the temple. The official prayers from the Old Testament given to them by their ancestors of the faith, they were still participating They weren't rejecting it all. They were still participating. It's just that they now had their eyes open to the fact that God heard their prayers because Jesus was the mediator between God and man, making them have a signal. Amen? So they were devoted to the prayers. I think for us it could be to be devoted to the Lord's prayer. It could be devoted to personal prayer to corporate prayer. It could be devoted to occasionally reading prayers that help you pray by reading great prayers that others have written, whether in the Bible or books on prayer. I brought a book up here that I would recommend, um, The Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. I'm not going to say that that's like the best or only good book on prayer, but what I will say is that when I'm really stuck and I don't have like really the ability to do a whole lot of praying, which happens more often than I'd like to admit, I can turn in this book and read an amazing prayer that someone else wrote, and it can just really stir my heart for the Lord. And so being devoted to the prayers, whether it's your personal prayer, a prayer someone wrote to help you, a prayer from Scripture, but devoted to prayer. 
So the early church inspires us to be, verse 42, devoted. Devoted. Persist in, adherence to, intently engaged in these four things. Let's just think about this and wrestle with it this morning. There's a lot of things in this passage that we don't really have much control over. We'll come to it as we keep going in the passage, but you know, we all probably wish that the Lord was adding to our number day by day that 3,000 people were getting baptized this Sunday. We don't have control over everything. Hello? No, we don't. But we can control being devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread. So now, four observations, four, let's say, nuanced observations from the local church that inspire us today. They were devoted. Now, the early church inspires us to be distinct, to be distinct, to be different, to be like, oh, you guys are different. Oh, you're a Christian? Ah, I knew there was something. You're distinct. You're not just like everyone else. You're not just trying to fit in. You're not never standing out. No, you do stand out. You are, that's what the word means. You are distinct. The early church inspires us to be distinct. Look at verse 43. Distinct in power. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe came upon every soul in the church. How's your awe for what the Lord is doing? God is awesome. God is awe-inspiring. We are to be a people of awe. Awe came upon every soul. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that the eternal, holy, just God of heaven who made us, who we rebelled against, would send his one and only perfect, sinless son, Jesus Christ, to take on human flesh, to be arrested, beaten, crucified, to die on the cross in our place. For you, for me, it's, it creates awe. It's like, whoa, really? Like, we believe that? It inspires awe in the early church. Hadn't lost it yet. It says many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I think it's, Crucial to see that it doesn't say many wonders and signs were being done through every single believer, but just through the apostles. Here in this verse, that's what it says. Now, I'm not saying that to say that God isn't today active in doing miracles through believers everywhere. I believe that. But in this passage, in the book of Acts, The point is that God was giving the apostles unique, 
power, his power, God's power through the apostles to do these, what's it called? Wonders and signs. You might ask why? Why? Well, first of all, because God wanted some wonders and signs done. He wanted some sick people healed. He wanted some things to happen. That's one reason why. Another reason why is because it authenticated the message of the apostles. Does that make sense? Like, if you go up, you know, to, to a row of five teachers, and four of them can't do any signs and wonders, but one of them can, which one are you going to listen to? God is authenticating. He's giving validation to. He's giving, he's saying, these are my people. These are my teachers. I'm validating them with these signs and wonders that I'm doing through them. And so think about it this way. God is starting the flame of the local church in the first century. The spirit has just been poured out and the logs are set and the leaves are there and the crumbled up newspaper is there and he's lit the match and he's pouring lighter fluid to really get it going as a raging fire. And these signs and wonders were a bit unique, I would say, to the early church. Not totally unique. I am not saying it isn't happening today. What I am saying is that God uniquely did it in the first century to get the fire going, to authenticate the apostles' teaching. If you look in the Bible at the frequency of miracles, they weren't happening every day in the Bible. There like are hundreds of years in the Bible when you're reading it where there's not like a miracle. It's just like a king being a king, doing a thing. Like it's just, that's what's going on. But in the key moments in history, like when Elijah is a prophet, or when Jesus is born and angels come to the Virgin Mary, or at, after the resurrection, well, the resurrection itself is a huge miracle, but then in the early church when the Spirit is poured out, I'm just saying that at key moments in history, God pours out signs and wonders to say, pay attention, I'm speaking. So where are we? Uh, the early church inspires us to be distinct. Distinct in power. Distinct in unity. Look at verse 44. And all the believers, or wait, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. The word for in common is the same word as fellowship. It's the same word as koinonia, it's koinos. They were deeply together, unified, sharing with one another in fellowship. They had profound unity, not division and strife, as so many New Testament epistles will shortly have to address. And as we often experience in our lives, right? They had profound unity. Here's something to think about. Who was together? All who believed were together. That's a key point. What brings us together in the local church is belief in Christ. 
more profoundly than anything else. Hobbies, stage of life, affinity, race, culture, what brings us together more than anything else is belief in Jesus Christ. Peter just preached about this. On the day of Pentecost, he said, all who believe in the Lord will be saved. If someone had walked up to these Christians on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem at, on this day, that's the day that's being described here, and said, like, oh, it's, it's like a crowd, like, what's going on? Like, and they tap one of the people on the shoulder and say, hey, how do I, like, who, what's bringing all these people together? And, like, is it just that they are all, like, tourists? Like, what's going on here? Like, how do, how do I get in on this? I feel kind of like an outsider. How do I get in on this? What's the answer? The answer is, is what? Well, we vote Republican, of course. Or vote Democrat. I mean, be a social justice warrior. Like, what's the answer? Well, I mean, what's the answer? It's faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're about here. That's, That's what brings us together. That's what unifies us. So, wow. It's a lot to unpack here. It's so inspiring. So their belief unified them. Distinct in power, distinct in unity. And now look at this. Distinct in generosity. Verse 45. So they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. This is profound. Now, were they uh, forced to do this? Or did they do it on their own? It's an important clarification because communism forces you to act like this. And some would say they see in this passage an argument for that. And you would say, no, because they weren't compulsory in their actions. But they were so generous. They were distinct in their generosity. It also says later that they were going from house to house, so they still owned houses. They still had private property. And so we can say what it isn't, but we better say what it is, and that is that they were distinct in their generosity. They were so sacrificial. People were selling things they owned, taking the proceeds to help other saints. That's the picture. That's the inspiring photo. Do our lives resemble this? No, God is not saying that we have to all just bring the titles to our cars and houses to church next Sunday. Let's not dismiss it all by focusing on what, well, it's not this, it's not this, but it's not this. But look at what it is. It's such a challenge to be profoundly generous. Recall the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, knowing that his idol was material possessions and finances, he says, oh, you're asking? Okay, sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Come and follow me. The rich young ruler walks away 
sad, it says, because he had many possessions. And so this is a challenge to be distinct in our generosity. Four observations that inspire us today from the local church. They were devoted. They were distinct. Number three, the early church inspires us to be day by day, to be day by day Christians. Verse 46, 47. It says, in day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the early church inspires us to be not just like Sunday or, you know, like Wednesday night followers of Jesus, but to really be day by day Christians. We, we, we need to live in community with our fellow believers. Church, small group, these, these aren't just one of the balls we're juggling, right? It's, it's the foundation. It's the, it's the foundation that we're standing on as we juggle the balls. It's a paradigm shift. It's that we're, we're, we're day by day in our faith with other believers so that we can be day by day faithful to the Lord. So you see, day by day in community, it says they were in the temple, they were in each other's homes. It says day by day, I would say with gratitude and generosity. I love this, and it can be easily missed as you focus on the in the temple and the homes, but look at this zooming in on in the homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Think about that. It's just so inspiring. It's like like let's be a people of gratitude and generosity not just on the externals but glad and generous hearts so inspiring yet so convicting day by day with gratitude and generosity day by day with praise by the way back to that day by day with gratitude and generosity you could kind of make an argument from that little point right there that that it's a, that it's like still a good idea to give thanks for the food okay just saying um not saying it's a rule that you have to do it, but just saying, you know, there's, it's not like something that someone made up in Sunday school in the 1980s, okay? Um, so day by day with praise. Day by day with praise. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. The early church was a worshiping church. They were praising God. It says, day by day. Not just the one hour of the 168 hours in the week. Not just the Sunday morning, but day by day they were praising the Lord. And that is followed by people being added to their number daily. Because people are not drawn to 
what we are not ourselves delighting in. The early church was praising God day by day. They were day by day seeing influence. It says having favor with all people. Now, we can't control that, and we know that the church in Jerusalem is going to fall out of favor, and they're going to be persecuted, and they're going to be scattered, and God's going to use that to take the gospel around the world. So we can't control whether we live in you know, a time and day when there's favor or whether we live in a time and day when everyone's opposed to us because of our beliefs and our views. But we can see this and be inspired by it still. They had favor with all people. Day by day, they were making an impact. It says, day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so this church, this early church, they had not lost the focus of sharing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not just breaking bread in their homes and breaking bread at church and having fellowship and all of that, but not seeing souls saved. They were making an impact through evangelism. But it really wasn't their doing, was it? I mean, it was, but it wasn't. It says, who's the subject of that sentence? Who's the main actor in salvation? And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So that is all the way through verse 47. And we could stop there. We've so far looked at three observations that they were devoted that they were distinct, and that they were day by day. I'm going to add one more because I think it's helpful for us to think about this as a church. The early church inspires us to be defined, to be defined. And this really just comes from all the verses, so just kind of taking all together everything that we've just looked at. First thing is there's a defined place. This is the church in Jerusalem. That's the church that Acts 2, 42 through 47 is speaking about. And they had a defined place, a sense of where God had placed them in his sovereign plan to do life with people, to do fellowship with people, to be on mission for Christ. It's interesting, there was a church in Jerusalem, and this is it. In Acts 8, verse 1, it says, persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. In Acts 15, it says, when Paul and Barnabas came to visit Jerusalem, they were welcomed by, it says, the church the apostles, and the elders. And so the Jerusalem church not only had the apostles, which we were having them teach in verse 42, but, but they then added elders to be their leadership. The church was a thing. It was, it was, and they were in a place. It was a local church. Hence the title, Inspired about the local church. In Romans 15, 25, Paul is 
One of the big things Paul is doing in his letters in the New Testament is he's going around the world to other churches and he's taking up an offering. Romans 15 says, it was for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Church, it's a defined place. It's a defined leadership. For them at this time, it was the apostles, but there is a defined leadership. There are defined beliefs. The apostles' teaching or the Bible. There were, as we've seen, defined practices. Why am I doing it? Why am I saying all this? Why did I add this extra point? Because we live in a time where we think we don't have to define anything. And I think it's important that we recognize that that we are wrong. (laughs) And the early church inspires us to be more defined because more fruitfulness and more honor to the Lord will flow from that. Defined practices. You could even say defined people. This church at Jerusalem had a defined number, you could even say, of people. It's interesting, and you can take that from verse 47. Let's read it again. Praising God and having favor with all people in the Lord, watch this, added to their number. Wait, someone was counting them? Right. Day by day, those who were being saved. Let me read you a quote about that verse. From John Stott, he did not add them to the church without saving them. In other words, in the first century, there was not this phenomenon of people who were members of churches, but not Christians. There was no nominal Christianity at the beginning. Nor did he save them without adding them. There were no solitary Christians either. Salvation and church membership belonged together, and they still do. John Stott. And so it's just a challenge. You know, it's inspiring to be defined as the early church was defined, to see God use us the way he used them, to have an impact the way they did. I can still remember when I first got inspired about the local church. It wasn't just from this passage, but it was from this passage. But it was also from studying the book of Ephesians. It was also from being part of a healthy church. And just remember like a light bulb coming on of what God can do through the eclectic, sort of weird bunch of people that are unified by their faith in Christ, that gather together regularly with discipline, and that love the Lord, worship the Lord, and are seeking to make a difference in their community. I can just remember the burden that God gave me for that. That's why I became a pastor. I'm not a pa- I don't say that because I'm a pastor. And I would just challenge you this morning in the same way, to be inspired about the local church. It's not just a box we check. It's not just a place we go. It is so inspiring. We looked at those pictures. 
And we talked about how these iconic photos can, can be inspirational. Do you see the picture this morning in the end of Acts chapter 2? I love this quote, and I want to end our time with this quote. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by one great thing. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on into eternity, you don't need to have a high IQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches or come from a fine family or a fine school. Instead, you have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things. Or one great, all-embracing thing and be set on fire by them. And so I would submit to you, being inspired about the local church is one of those things. Let's close in prayer.